Hey everybody, this is Mike Paterno and I want to welcome you to Mostly Unseen with Jeff Boucher. Thanks for joining us today. We're happy to have you with us. Jeff is the pastor of Mill Pond Church. I want to let you know that any of these segments from our podcast will be accessible through our website at millpondchurchny.com. We have a great topic for you today. With me, as always, is our host, Pastor Jeff Boucher. Welcome, Jeff. Mike, great to be here and very excited again about our topic. We are still looking at who is Jesus. And so as we look at this tonight, we're going to look at a couple of parables. Mm. And remember, parables are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or a spiritual meaning. And Jesus used these to great effect. He took very common things uh, that people would be very familiar with, men, women, children, in their world at the time. Mm -hmm. And he brought out of those stories or infused into those stories great spiritual understanding. And it was a great memory device as well. When you have a story, you remember a story much easier than just trying to recite memorized facts or data. You can tell it in a story. So we want to kind of dive right in. And tonight I want to think of two things, two aspects of, of, of God, two aspects of Christ. One is his great forbearance, his patience, enduring patience. That's one thing with really disobedient subjects. Mm. Then his incredible invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the Lamb, of course, being Christ. When people think of that, there's a beautiful picture of the relationship God has with his church. And Jesus is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. So it's a great picture. I think we're going to get a lot out of this tonight. You're going to see some seen and unseen things going on so so be prepared to uh take a look and uh be prepared to get excited so Indeed. with that let's uh let's dive right in so mike why don't you start us off by just reading that first parable okay and parable of the landowner in matthew 21 all right yeah so this is uh verses 33 to 46 um the parable of the tenants and uh, Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put up a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Yeah, now, it's a powerful, very powerful parable. So let's just kind of break it apart a little bit, talk a little bit about it. So Jesus is at the latter part of his ministry mm -hmm. at this point. He has now been revealing who he is and he's already demonstrated that he has authority on the earth by the miracles that he was producing by the teachings that he was giving backed up by those mm -hmm. miracles uh, people had to make a choice and they either believed it or they didn't believe it believed in him or didn't believe in him 
and some were enemies that stood against him. Some were avid followers that fell down at his feet and worshipped them. So Jesus was kind of a crisis causer. That's the best way to put it. You, you didn't meet him and wonder, you know, what you should think. You, you had an opinion. Right. And I, I like to say this to people a lot of times, and I probably mentioned it before, but I, I would tell parents, you know, frequently through the years when I worked with kids a lot, because parents would say, hey, everything in moderation. And I've mentioned this many, many times, but I would look and say, you know, that can be good advice. It really can be. But often it's not. And when it's not, it can be really bad. Mm -hmm. So what do we mean by that? A lot of times when we train our kids or, or tell people or teach people, hey, everything in moderation or, you know, don't don't get noticed. Right. If you're getting noticed, something's wrong. You're either lagging in the back or you're accelerating out in the front and either side could be bad. So stay in the middle of the pack where you're unnoticed. Right. Just moderation. <laughs> you know, don't be radical. Don't do it. And then I, I say to parents, I've said it many, many times, thousands, in fact. I said, so let me ask something. Name one person in history that changed anything or made a difference in moderation. Exactly. Nobody has ever no answered one. that. And so what you're saying is, I don't, I don't want you to be known for anything. I don't want you to, well, no, you know, well, look, if you're going to break ground on any frontier, you're going to have your detractors. You're going to have your supporters, mm -hmm. right? The difference is you'll know who feels what. Mm -hmm. when you don't when you're not out there you don't know what people feel about you right so this way you, you actually know but in this case jesus is at the end part of his ministry he is really laying it out there for people to understand who he is so he says listen to another parable and you read it really well perfect tempo there's a landowner owner who planted a vineyard now this is really important because there were vineyards everywhere. Everybody had a vineyard. Mm -hmm. And if you were a landowner with vineyards, you could have been a landowner with landowner with multiple vineyards. And you would rent them out perhaps. Or, you know, it wasn't uncommon. If you had to go away on a journey, those journeys were, you know, no airplanes, no, no quick transports. <laughs> so you were gone for sometimes a few months, maybe during the whole growing season. So you might have said, I, I won't have need of it. I'm going to, but I want it to be taken care of because it's a vineyard. I want you to, you know, I'm going to rent it out. And, and then I'll send people to get my share, right? That'll be the rent, mm -hmm. if you will. So it's interesting though, because the Jews that were listening to this, and let's talk about who the characters are. So who are the characters? Well, you have the Pharisees that, are, you know, the religious leaders that are in the audience. Yep. The common people. Okay. The, the and there could be more than Pharisees. They could be Sadducees, uh, Sadducees out there, priests, yeah, right? And, Levites. Yeah. There could have been all. Yes, definitely people from uh, that that were in the establishment. Yes. Say. Yep. Just the exactly. Um, obviously, Jesus is is there speaking to them. The apostles are there. Uh, followers of Jesus who are not the apostles, but probably go with him different places. Yep. Um, also, other other lay people, but it's um, you know coming towards Passover, so everyone that's you know paying attention to the Jewish tradition of any male over 20, we'll say, yep. is basically bound to make this journey from wherever they live, anywhere in the, in the we'll say the kingdom, so to speak, yeah. to So the city swelled yeah, it's, at this so many people. time of year, right, coming in. So that's exactly right. Now, who is the parable addressed to, people group? It's addressed to the Pharisees. Well, it's actually, it's addressed to, it's addressed to the Jews. To the Jews. Okay. Specifically. So if it's addressed to the Jews, think about what the Jews know. If we look, and you could jump here to Psalm 80, uh, take a look at Psalm 80, verse 8, and just read that when you get to it. But he starts off, and here's his first line. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. Now, read Psalm 80. Now, Psalm 80 comes from many hundreds of years before this event. So go ahead and read it. Yes. So you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Okay, pause there. Who's he speaking of? 
he's speaking about Israel and how he he planted them in that specific land, the promised land. And what did land. he call them? He called them um, a vine. A vine. He did. He took the vine out of Egypt, mm -hmm. which is where they were in slavery. He brought them out to the land that he promised. He planted his choice vine, right? Then it grew. He watched over it as it grew. When he starts off, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. The mind of the Jew knows many of, you know, the Old Testament scriptures, many of them inside mm -hmm. out and backwards. So they knew that, you know, God certainly planted a vineyard or a vine. It was them. Mm -hmm. Then he goes on and he says, he put a wall around it. He dug. Now, what is a wall for? A wall to keep, well, things out, for sure. Protection. Um, right? Animals, people. Yeah. Protection. <laughs> yeah. So, was there a wall around the people of Israel? Well, God was the hedge of protection. Yes. It's really. So, he was their protection. He told Moses that he would be that protection if they were obedient. Mm -hmm. And that he would never let the nations around them overtake them. They would always have the, the dew from the heavens, the mm -hmm. rains that would come down, the sunshine, the crops would be good. They would be blessed. Their livestock would be blessed. Their wombs would be blessed. Mm -hmm. You know, and on and on and on, as long as they obeyed. So, he and this is the background. Think This is how they're going to hear it. When we hear news stories in America, we immediately, they don't have to give us background because we're living here. But if you came from another country, you might need some background. Like, what are they talking about? Mm -hmm. Same thing going on. The Jews had background. So then it says he put the wine press in it, dug a wine press. And, and that's where they crushed the grapes mm -hmm. into, and it would come down. You know, they'd crush it down. Um, it would come down a chute into barrels. And then, you know, they would ferment it and, and so forth. So it would, um, you know, the wine press would be there. And he built a watchtower watch over it to see anything that was wrong okay now this is speak this is exactly what god did to israel mm -hmm. and that was a picture so then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and he went away on a journey so he rents it to farmers and he goes away on a journey that's a mental picture of of god owning it Right? The landowner owns it. He's fully the owner. But the tenants who rented it forget that. Who do they start thinking the owner is? They think that they're the owner. Think of the world today. Think of, so I'm going to give you a couple of small pictures. So I grew up, my childhood was in the 70s, let's say. Late 60s through the 70s. And it was during the time of what was called the Jesus movement. People were coming to faith. But even before all of that, often people lived by their word. People, they might not have been always churchgoers, but many were churchgoers. They might have belonged to well-established, you know, denominations. They could have been people that, you know, you'd see every day on the street. Generally, you know, friendly. If there was trouble, you could call on them. They were just good citizens yeah yeah you saw a lot of those people lots of them they genuinely cared about their neighbors and you know in my world it, we were all roman catholic so we all had church ties mm -hmm. for the most part uh as well and though we didn't really talk a lot about church per se people it would come up from time to time and you'd see people at church all the time you, know. say you knew what everyone was doing on sunday yeah you knew where they were <laughs> and you know, people thought, okay, I'm going to just watch out. There's a God above, and here I am below. And nobody ever thought this is his world. Sometimes, maybe when we're young, we mistook it, or we, we had our great dreams and aspirations. We chase everything down, and sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't, whatever. Yeah, the concept of the greater good was definitely prevalent. Definitely present and prevalent. And so we saw a lot of that, and we, you know, many of us who have reached my age, look back and we say, where did the good old days go, right? Now, we tend to romanticize those days too. Mm. They weren't all that way. There were nasty people, there was crimes committed, there were, there were things happening, but generally speaking, you couldn't turn the TV on and see what we see today. Right. You know, you, you wouldn't see it on the streets either. 
you wouldn't it wouldn't be out there. People would jump in if there was somebody getting mugged, and people and they were doing it where people were pre- those people would step up. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it was, and we had many stories like that growing up as a kid. People stepping in to at risk to themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we had a lot of that, but today we have a lot of people in the world that are self-absorbed that are looking what they can get what's good for them they don't care often what's good for everybody else they're not thinking hey this needs to be a win-win this is how do i win that's that's where it's gone in many cases and the moral base has shifted drastically and many people think i can do anything i want and they do some of the most outrageous things. They believe that will make them happy. And to this day, I have to tell you, I haven't seen any of them. I feel like they're getting more unhappy. They are getting more and more unhappy. That's what I see. And you see it in their anger, mm-hmm. in their frustrations. They're not reaching the goals they want. They're not getting, when they reach them, they're like, is this it? Yeah. Is it, you know, and you know, maybe they shot low and reached what they were shooting for and thought there was going to be this euphoric feeling as they arrived and then nothing. And disillusionment, disappointment sets in and depression very often. So those are generalities. But let's go back to this. So it says he rents it to some to the vineyard, to some farmers and goes away on a journey. Now, Israel was to take care of this place under whose authority under god's authority and under god's authority he set them up into 12 tribes he set where their land would be mm-hmm. he set the tribe of the priests he told them what they needed to do to honor him right to to love justice to you know to, to love and dispense mercy to do right to follow him these are the things he said right and then he gives us the in the law of moses Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. In the New Testament, he adds to that. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commands. On those two commands, all the law fits in. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll, if you can do those two things, you're going to fulfill the law. So we're looking at this and saying, okay, so the Jews were supposed to, especially the leaders, they were supposed to keep the scripture in front of all the people through teaching preaching living when they go back to their cities in their tribal areas of the land of israel their leaders would sit in the gates and bring you know moral judgments to them in in encouraging ways and try to bring people under the laws of god to say this is truly what you want when you live according to god's law you will truly be happy right fulfilled joyful that's what's going to happen so let's go a little further then he rented the vineyard to some farmers went on a journey and when the harvest time approached he sent his servants to the tenants to collect its fruit so the tenants i'm going to say they are the israelites but specifically they're the leadership these are the ones who rented right and renting the whole understanding here just means that you don't own this Mm -hmm. you are subservient if you will to the owner you can do certain things prescribed in the lease allowed in the lease we'll call the lease the law of moses these are the things you can do and if you do these things the owner will be happy the tenants will be happy Everyone will have enough and everyone will enjoy. But that's not what takes place. So what happens? The tenants go to collect his, uh, the servants, sorry, go to the tenants. Who are the servants? The servants are the people. The prophets. The prophets. So the prophets come. When do the prophets come on the scene mostly? Most frequently? Most frequently when Israel's not doing something that it's supposed to be doing. Yes. That's when they come on the scene. And, you know, John the Baptist came on, right? He was the first of the New Testament prophets, mm-hmm. uh, the first to appear in 400 years. 
that was a real prophet mm. of God. You know, one who was calling the nation. He came to prepare the way for Messiah. He he spoke and he preached and he was he, he was preaching a um a baptism of repentance by water. Mm -hmm. Right? He said, One is coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So I come to prepare the way for him. He was calling the people to what? To repent, to change their ways, come back. Come back to, to God. And if you do, if there, if there is heartfelt sorrow for this, you know, disregarding God's commands, if there is heartfelt sorrow, God would be quick to do what? To hear your prayer. To hear the prayers, to forgive and, respond, yeah. and heal their land and bring a fresh falling of the spirit mm. upon them. And he was looking forward always to do this. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of God that we have. God is not looking to, you know, many people paint him as the cosmic killjoy. You know, oh, if we got to follow God, we, you know, we got to sit around and twiddle our thumbs and stare at the walls because you can't have any fun. Absolutely not true. Our next parable that we may or may not get to tonight is a parable of what? Feasting and joy and happiness and partying, if you will. It's a, it's a, it's a time of great, great joy. So God is a God who understands, you know, the heart of people. Right? He created us. Mm. So the tenants, when the servants came to collect their fruit, right? The fruit for the who? For the Lord. The owner. Yeah, the owner. Excuse what God. did they do to the tenants? Uh, the tenants just killed them, stoned them. Yeah. They they, they beat, beat one, yeah. right? Killed another, stoned a third. And then he sent other servants to them, more than the first. And... The tenants treated them the same way. And last of all, he sent his son to them. And they will respect my son, he thought. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Where did Jesus come to? Where was the center of power? In all Israel. Jerusalem. It was in Jerusalem. Who gave him the death sentence? Uh, the, well, the Pharisees did when they conspired with the. So the Sanhedrin people. did. Yeah. Which was comprised of, you know, a number of people the Sadducees, there were Pharisees, there was a whole body of elders. Mm. And it was a court, if you will. They were a religious court. But a civil court because it was a theocracy so they looked at this and many of them had their own agendas in mind just like people do today mm -hmm. many of us have our own agendas and look I, i've had my own agenda at heart at times throughout my life sometimes you think you're doing god's work and then you realize no i'm just doing what i want to do and saying god is yeah. saying it's his work <laughs> we've done that people do yeah, that yeah and sometimes you truly get confused mm. on who's doing the the speaking, who's doing the work. Yeah. And then when you realize it, because of either something God speaks to you, whether it's through impressions, through reading his word, through dreams, through a friend, through another sermon, through circumstances, you know, when you realize it and you're cut to the heart and you're convicted and you, you know, fall on your knees and you cry out to God, God hears from heaven and he forgives. He tells us that over and over. He's not an ogre. He's not someone who comes down on us right that way. So, so let's take a look a little further. Then we're going to talk about it. So they took the son, they throw him out, they kill him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They killed his son. They killed all his servants or beat them and sent them away and did terrible things to them. What's he going to do when he comes? And it's funny, the chief priests and the Pharisees knew exactly what was going to happen. They said it. They said, he's going to bring those wretches to a wretched end. <laughs> they know? give the right answer. <laughs> they, yeah, they know the answer right away. They're hearing the story. <laughs> They're not yet fully grasping, I would imagine, that he's talking about them. 
But by the end of this parable, they sure do. We know that he is, right? They know that we know that they know that he's talking about them. So he says he's going to bring those wretches to a wretched end. And they said he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop in harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Now, there's some passages in Isaiah that that comes from that I don't think I, I wrote I down I actually here. thought that came from Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It does. But it also comes from oh, okay. yeah, other scripture that, you know, is echoed throughout, uh, you know, the passage, Isaiah in particular. And he talks about, you know, his people yes, he does. rejecting yes, he them, does. Right. right? And rejecting the, the, the cornerstone. The, Daniel, the prophet, remember we talked about him. And might have been last time we were together. And King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Daniel interprets the dream. And the dream was of a great image. The king was the head of gold. Then there were the another kingdom was silver, and that was the shoulders and the arms. And then the, the bronze abdomen area uh, was another kingdom. And then iron, and then iron mixed with clay. And then a rock came out and crushed the mm -hmm. image on the feet, and the kingdom of the rock filled the earth. Mm -hmm. Notice how the metals go. They go in order. Mm -hmm. What kind of order? Most valuable to least valuable. Yes. Gold to silver to bronze to iron to clay. And so he's saying in many ways, you are the greatest king, Nebuchadnezzar. And he's saying that what will happen, the kingdoms that will arise after are lesser and lesser and lesser. Why are they lesser and lesser and lesser? Because sin nature they they get further and further from god right a lot of different reasons but the rock that is cut out without human hands meaning it's of divine origin crushes the stone hits the stone on the feet all the image falls all the kingdoms of the world it's a picture of all the kingdoms crumbling and the kingdom of the rock filling the earth when does that happen that's really revelation so on the return of christ the kingdoms truly come to an end. Right now, the kingdom has been let loose amongst the world through believers mm. who have accepted Christ, have the Holy Spirit within them, and as they go out, they carry the Spirit with them to other places, and they carry the fruits of the Spirit, impacting the lives of people, turning them to Christ. Mm. So God's kingdom continues to grow, even when things at the governmental levels where the seats of power are get worse and worse god is not mocked it's not like christianity is decreasing people go oh but the people are leaving the churches oh yeah well a lot of them probably weren't christians to, to begin with. with and others were maybe believers or liked the idea and then when distraction came and other things happened kind of like the lifestyle that didn't include church you know, oh, I still believe in my heart, you know, whatever. So they're trying to, to do this. Now, there's a good picture of this in the Old Testament, in Genesis. Now, in Genesis, there's a story of Abraham's nephew, mm -hmm. Lot. Mm -hmm. Lot and Abraham are going and they're wandering together and God is blessing them. Lot was his brother's son. His brother had died. So Abraham and Lot are growing and they're doing, and God is blessing their sheep and their, all their animals, their livestock, their people. And all of a sudden, Lot's servants, right, the shepherds, come into conflict with Abraham's, you know, because there's just not enough room. Mm -hmm. the, the, there's, they're staying together, but there's not enough crop. There's not enough food for the grazing. And it's becoming a problem. So Abraham says to Lot, Lot, look north, look south, look east, and look west. You pick where you want to go dwell. And where you go, where you dwell, I'll go in the opposite direction. Not in a bad way, mm -hmm. but to say, so we don't have this problem, and there'll be plenty for everybody. 
So Lot looks and he sees in the distance the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he thinks there's access to lots of stuff, maybe, whatever. He says, we'll go that way, the land of Shinar, out that way. Okay. Abraham says, I'll go the other way. So Abraham stayed and remained truly Bedouin. Lot camps outside the city for a while. And then all of a sudden we find that Lot is an elder inside the city, living inside the city because people come to his door. And we're like, what happened? So they go inside. Now, what's the picture that I'm trying to, or, or that I believe this paints? So God speaks to Abraham and says to Abraham, Shall I hold from Abraham what I'm about to do since I've made all these promises to mm. him? And he said, I'm not going to do that. So he says to Abraham that I'm about to bring down judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Abraham knows that his nephew is there with people. How many? I, I We don't know. So Abraham presumes to speak to God and very humbly says, God, what if there are 50 righteous people in that city? Would you destroy all of them? It doesn't seem right. God says, if there's 50, I won't destroy the city. Don't let me presume upon you, Lord, but if there are five less than 50, if there are 45, I will not destroy the city. What about 40, 30, 20? But Lord, my last, I, I won't ask any more. What about 10? If there are 10, I will not destroy the city. And the angels go. And they visit Lot. And we get a picture painted there that it was just horrific. The sin going on in the mm -hmm. city. And he goes to Lot and he says, Lot, grab your family. The angels went to him. He said, grab your family. If you have sons, sons-in-laws, daughters, wife, grab them and bring them out. For we are here to destroy the city. So by morning, Lot is still hemming and hawing and delaying and waiting. Finally, they grab hold of Lot. And Lot, the only people that Lot can get to come are his wife and his two daughters. They're pledged to be married to his two future son-in-laws. They wouldn't come. They didn't believe it. The wife was struggling believing it. That's it. There's three of the, four of them leaving the city. And the angels had to grab them. Think of this. Lot was a righteous man. How did he end up in the city? Um, what is it they say? Familiarity breeds contempt. Yes, that's a great phrase right there. That that explains it in part. There's also comforts of life, things we want. Then we start rubbing shoulders with everybody else who's sinning. And though Lot was still a man who followed God, he was watching it go on around him. Bit by bit, all the people he brought there got sucked in. And now, when it's time for God to bring down the hammer, he can't get any but four, including himself and his wife, to go. And the angels get them out, and then the judgment comes. That's a picture of getting into sin, tasting sin, saying, I like what I taste. I want a little bit more, but I'm still going to church. I want to look, how, you know, and then you start getting these questions. I got a lot of these as a pastor. Hey, how, how close can I get? So here's a good question. I get it from teenagers, 20 year olds, 25 year olds, even older, older than that. How far can I go with the girl and still be considered like, okay. So I said, well, what does the Bible say? Well, you know, I'm asking you, what, like, what, what, like, can I go to first base? Can I go to, you know, like, how far can I go? Or does God just allow because he knows that, you know, we we can't hold, you know, we can't hold it back. We're, we're, you know, basically what you're saying is we're animals, and we can't. No, you can you can say no. You can do those things. So the answer is get married. That's his answer. Because if you're just going to sleep around, you don't understand intimacy. Mm, right. You you missed the calling. Yeah. You missed the boat. And so we all want to know, you know, I can't swim, but can I just dip my toe in the water at the deep end? Yeah. And then after you dip your toe, what are you going to do? Your foot, your leg. 
pretty soon your whole body's in. And pretty soon you're drowning. Mm -hmm. And that's the picture. We see it over and over again. Israel came out of the out of Egypt out of slavery, came to the mountain, saw the miracles, created the golden calf and worshipped in days, not months, mm -hmm. in days. Then they wandered in the wilderness. Then God provided. Then God taught them. Then God used Moses. God brought the law. God, you know, so 40 years goes by. People are starting to get the picture. They're following. They've gotten the law now. Now he wants to send them into the land. Sends them into the land. There's a lot that goes on but under Joshua. And they start taking dominion. He starts pushing the, the nations out. They start becoming a domesticated people. And they're following God. Joshua, at the end of his time, he says, people, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Mm. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15, very famous. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you think of it, you have a choice. We all have choices. God, why was his patience so great? Well, he loved his people and he wanted them to be with him. Otherwise, if he didn't really love, you know, it's think of the basic relationships we have. If you love somebody, you want to be with them. You want to help them. You want to, you care on an unearthly level. Yes. Imagine someone who loves you infinitely more. Unbelievable. I mean, God continues to, to call to us, to woo us back. It, a picture of the marriage. He's calling his wayward wife. When we're not walking with God, we're literally in the spiritual sense committing what? Well, we're committing sin if we're not walking with him. What because... kind of sin? Adultery. That's what I was going to say. Because <laughs> if we're married to him, yeah. if we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, but then we start walking away. If a man and woman are married and one of them starts walking away and seeing and going toward the other goodies that are out there, other loves, well, we think humanly, we think adultery. Mm. So... We are, but God continues to call. He wants us back. Mm -hmm. He'll forgive even that. He wants us back. But we want to dance with the world, and we want to dance with God. Yeah, yeah. And you cannot hold Jesus in one hand and junk in the other. Yeah. In fact, mm -hmm. everybody I know that tries to do that dance, that tries to walk the tightrope, that tries to walk one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light, is not happy or joyful at all. They're miserable. They they stay in the kingdom enough to know that what they're doing is wrong. They love what they do until they wake up the next day. Then they feel terrible and they repent. And then they feel like, okay, I, I can say no now. I feel strong. I, I just spent time with God. And then their friends call them that night. Which friends? The ones that are walking the other path. <laughs> the ones that are walking in the world, right? And then they start determining who they're going to go out with this weekend based on what they might be doing. Well, is there going to be alcohol present? Is there going to be, you know, fun, you know, the fun present? Mm. Or are we going to sit around and do nothing? Are we going to have a barbecue with no, no beer? Are we going to have, you know, and people literally make their decisions that way. Then you say, sounds like you, you have an addiction. First one to say, no, I don't have an addiction. I just like this. I just like it. Who are they lying to? They're lying to themselves. Totally. Everybody else can see it, but they lie to themselves, right? When we see two people in love and they're trying to keep it on the down low. And, you know, I've often said to people, you know, in, in times using this as an example, I say, you know, love is blind. The neighbors ain't right. <laughs> yeah. So you, you might be thinking nobody else sees this, but we all see it. It's like, you know, this is clear to us. So that's, you know, and it's, th this is how we try to live though. We try to live, you know, we want God because we want what God promises, which is eternal life. But we love life here. We love to have our, whatever, our, our, our things, our vices or, you know, whatever, our, you know, our, our own way. We want our own way. We want to build things we want, or we want everything to ourselves. What was the landlord, right? The landowner looking for? He just wanted obedience. So, you know, he was like, looking to collect the fruits 
And what does God ask us? Two two things really. Tithing and obedience. Just right. And tithing is what? Is consider well, tithe is tenth. That's what it is. A tithe is a tenth. And so God gave us a number in the Old Testament. And that number was 10%. We find it everywhere. We find it with Abraham. We find it, you know, all the way through Moses, the prophets, all the way up to Christ. They're still tithing in the times mm -hmm. of Jesus. And when they tithe, what did God expect from them? They wanted the first fruits. The first of what you get is what you give to God because you're so thankful for what you have. Because really, what would you have without them? So, so a tenth of? Of everything you get. Everything. Okay, so there were usually generally three harvests in a year. First fruits, spring, fall. So you'd have the first fruits, which would come up rapidly. They were planted in the fall um, before it went into winter. They would pop up the first and it would grow. You'd have food, fresh food, and you'd give the first of that. That was a real step of faith. Because what if something happened to the spring mm. crop? What if something happened? Storms, locusts. Uh, you know, floods, whatever it might have been. So you were, you were hedging and you, a lot of people would say, what, you know what? I'll save, this is how much it was. There's a 10th. I'll take from the fall harvest and give it to God and I'll keep this. Well, there's no faith involved in that. First of all, because real faith is, is beyond what your hands, where your hands end. Yes. And a lot of people make that mistake. They, oh yeah, I have faith, but where the, where their hands have their hands power ends, that's where their faith ends. Which means you don't have any faith at all, really. Right. So does God need the money? No. Does God need the crops? No. Does He need the animals? No. He doesn't need any of it. Who needs it? We do, and He knows that. And what do we need? We need to. We need. Well, He needs to supply us so that we can live. But God already knows that He doesn't need it. But He needs to know. We need to know that we love him enough where we're able to put That's something it. where we'll be put nothing before him so that yes, we understand that we love him. God gave us the law that required us to give a tenth of everything we earn, make, have. Not because he needs it, but because we need to be able to check ourselves always to see where we are. When I talk to people, you know, are you given of your income? Well, yeah, great. Are you, are you given a tenth? Well, the New Testament says, doesn't say anything about a tenth. It says give joyfully, liberally, yes. So what else did we gain in the New Testament that they didn't have in the Old Testament? Uh, well, uh, the Holy Spirit, eternal yeah. life. Okay. Oh, so many things. <laughs> so we gain the Holy Spirit living in us. Would we expect that we should give less or more? You want to give more. Because why? Because you see the spirit should guide you to where the need is. And you're giving more because you see it more. You should be more aware of it. And we're more empowered because God is in us, living in mm. us. So we should be able to. But we're not seeing that in many cases. But there are many, you know, so and this is not a discussion or teaching about tithing per se. Because this was understood when this was a rental due. And what does God you know, expect from us? He expects us to give what he's commanded. Why? So that we experience the joy and the blessing. That we can check. You know what the tithing is? And you know what <clears throat> giving back to God is? It's, it's a checkup for us. We say, how am I doing? If we hesitate. When the crop comes in to give God, because we're looking going, oh, if I keep that, I'll be living pretty nice. If I don't keep that tenth, I'll be living okay, but man, I could buy some extra things with that extra. Now, what if God wants you to have those extra things? Then he'll give them to you. Then he'll give them to you. Do you believe that he can? He's God. Mm. If the landowner, you know, the landlord wants to give back to you after you've paid his rent, can he do that? Sure. Sure he can. He can do whatever he wants. Okay, quick story. We don't really have time for it, but I'm going to tell it anyway, because this was one of the greatest lessons I've learned on this subject. I had a very, very wealthy and very generous benefactor that helped our ministry. I met him through somebody. 
I didn't pursue him. He pursued me. He would take me out to lunch. We'd get together. He was probably 15 years my senior. And he, he just, you know, it was he and his wife. He had three grown kids. I got to know them as well. And grandkids and so forth. Beautiful farm. Moved from that farm. Bought a bigger farm. And just giver, giver, giver. But, but unbelievable business guy. And he knew how to make money. He would say, he was blunt as can be. He'd say what he meant. So long story short, when I was, I, I, um, God had used me to start a ministry called Touch the World. This guy was very interested in it. And through his generosity, we were able to do a number of things. Build a skate park, right? Um, a whole bunch of things I can't even get into. But we were able to do a lot. He had ownership of a little complex in the middle of Allendale. And it had a beauty parlor. It had four apartments up above. It had a bookstore in it. It had a building out back that was, um, they, they had, it was old, a hardware store and all this other stuff. But then Christian counselors came in and rented from him. He said, why don't you move your stuff in there and make that your office? And he gave me a rent money, a rental figure that was excellent. And I said, okay, so let's just say, I can't remember the number, but let's just say it was thousand bucks a month. And then he said, look, I'm going to, over time, make it so that all the rentals that come in from the apartments up above, and then we had a cafe, we put a cafe in the building and a hair salon. He said, all those rental monies will pay our taxes and everything else will inure to the benefit of Touch the World. I said, that's awesome. So that's how it went. Hmm. Now, that time hadn't come yet, but we moved our stuff in and over time that was going to happen. So there was a month or two that I couldn't pay the rent ministry wise and, or I had to make a choice, pay that rent or pay something else. And I said, you know what? Dick is a big supporter. He'll understand. I didn't pay the rent. They next, next day I'd get a call from the secretary saying, Jeff, um, Dick wants to have lunch with you. Okay. And that wasn't uncommon. It was a couple times a week. He would do that. So we'd go out to this place. He'd always buy me lunch. We'd go out. Um, we order, and as soon as we're done ordering, he'd say, okay, um, you didn't pay the rent. I said, oh, Dick, you know, I appreciate this. You know, uh, listen, I didn't do it. I know. He said, let me, let me just say something to you. He says, um, you need to pay the rent. And he said, here's, here's the thing. He said, I, I make money, I do what I do, and I give money. I don't mind giving money. I like knowing where I'm giving money. I like to choose where I'm giving money. And when people don't pay me, I'm not choosing. It's stealing. So I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? <laughs> so he said, you need to pay the rent. I said, I'll have that rent to you. I said, I'll, I'll find it. I don't care where, but I'll find it. So I never, never was late in the rent again, unless there were one or two more times. I called him ahead of time told him what was going on, said, I need about four days extra. Could you give it to me? And he always would. But I I learned something yeah, in that. Yeah. And he said, I don't want my pocket picked. If I give it to you, I give it to you. If I don't, I don't. But I want it to be my choice, not yours. I said, fair enough. And I never did it again. Somebody else didn't go in, you know, or whatever. Right, 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 or right. I would, we, you know, we'd cut back in some way. But always did that. So... It's always a test of your faith. Always. And what will you do? Have a go to church on a Sunday morning. Bible tells us. It doesn't say you have to be there Sunday morning, but do not forsake the gathering right. together of believers. But with all the negative messaging that comes to us all week long, through television, through our devices, through everything that we do, why wouldn't we be in, this ch in church as often as we can? It's a cleansing. It, it's, it's getting us out of the world. It's helping us fight the mm -hmm. things in the world. We know it, but we don't do it. Why? Because we enjoy more. And then we hit a line. And we step over that line. It's hard to come back. Yeah. And and that's difficult. Yeah. So this picture, let's, you know, we have about 10 minutes left. But he's going to, you know, they tell him he's going to bring those wretched, uh, those wretches to a wretched end. And he'll rent the vineyard to other tenants. He'll take from you what he's given you. God has the ability make life go south 
not because he's a vengeful God that way, especially to those that have committed to him, but to help us understand we need him. He could take help from us. He could take money from us. He could make it so, if you read the book of Haggai, two chapters long, I encourage anybody to read it if you're struggling with this. You read it. We could get our money, get our paycheck, put it in our pocket. It's as if we put it into a pocket with holes. Where did it go? Right? We're, we're, we just can't seem to, to make ends meet, and we think we're making enough money. But it's going out the window. This happened. That happened. It went here. I didn't expect that maintenance. I didn't expect this thing. And that's what it does. But then the light bulb should come on. Why does God do that? Often, it's to help the light bulb. Mm-hmm. He wants us to have an aha yeah. moment. And the aha moment is, wait a minute, I got this backwards. I'm doing everything I want, not what, stop it right there. Get on your knees, repent, change your ways, call out to God, and watch God turn it around. That's what he does. Now, the end of this parable, it says this, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? This is where he's going to give you their aha moment. He said, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And we get that from Isaiah. We get that where he's saying, the Lord is sending the one who will become the cornerstone. Jesus is now saying, it's him. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who will produce its fruit. Really sounds like he's saying, take away your eternal life. Mm. Is God taking away eternal life? We actually choose that for ourselves because if we don't go with him, there's no choice. And you know what? He gives us plenty of scripture that teaches us. Mm -hmm. He doesn't take it from us. We choose to go that direction. I love the parable of the sower. There's four different soils. Soil is the condition of the heart in that story. Mm -hmm. The seed is the word of God. The first seed is the one that falls on the hard path. A bird comes and snatches the seed before it has time to get in under the ground. That's the hard heart, hard hearted soil. People share the gospel with a hard hearted person bounces right off. Mm -hmm. They don't want to know anything. They don't, they don't even consider it. There's no thought to it. There's no thoughtfulness. The next one is the one that lands on a rocky place. There's a little bit of soil in there. It's like the edge of a field. It springs up right away before anything else does. But then the heat of the day, the sun rises and scorches it and it dies. That's the persecutions that come up. You came to pay. You're one of those religious nuts. You're going to be selling flowers on a street corner. you know, And all of a sudden you start losing friends. And you say, oh, I'm not into this too far. You know what? I'm giving it up. I don't want to do that. Then there's the ones that last a while longer. And right before they can produce any fruit, the indigenous weeds, the, the, they're stronger than the planted ones. They, they choke out the, the goodness of that plant. And it never produces. Mm. But then there's the, the seed that lands in the good soil. And that good soil, you know, produces that seed and, and it grows and it grows and it produces sometimes 30 times what it was, sometimes 60, sometimes 100 times what it was. How many of the heart conditions produced fruit? Only one. But how close did some of them look like they were? They looked like they were coming pretty close for a while there. And many mistook it for being fruit. Mm. But they didn't. So, you know what? We know God's not taking life. You may have never had it. You may have wanted to dabble. You may have gotten close. You may have had that repentance. You may have said the words but never lived it. You may have memorized the verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, but then never did it. So, God loves us. You know why he's so patient? He tells us in Peter, do not count my patience as slowness. Meaning, when is God coming? How come this evil goes on? Don't count a slowness. He said, I am patient that none should perish. I want everybody to come, everybody to have that chance. But you choose whether you follow or whether you don't. It's our choice. So when we stand before God, 
He's going to say, I called to you. I invited you. I wanted you there. But you kept saying no. You even looked like you were going to do it. You started the race, but then you didn't finish. You dropped out. You never really were a believer. Yeah. And yeah. that's a lesson. And he says, and you know what? You're not recognizing me, Jesus said, because you don't know my father. Mm. You don't know the landowner. And you, you're doing whatever you want with the vineyard and acting as if you're the owners. God will come. He will take it from you. Mm -hmm. and he will judge you because of that and that's a powerful picture here yeah. because they did that and he said therefore i tell you that the kingdom of god will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit now the kingdom of israel was synonymous with the kingdom of god in the israelites mind so jesus said the kingdom of god's going to be taken and given to another and in fact he does give it to another who's the others the gentiles not just the gentiles but well all any, any, anyone that believed right sorry you just in that time the so, gentiles yeah. that's right including people different people groups the gentiles never thinking that they'd be invited into them mm -hmm. to that right so he says he uh sorry he says i tell you that the kingdom of god will be taken away from you and given to a people who produces fruit he who falls on this stone that he just mentioned will be broken to pieces but he on whom it falls will be crushed so if we fall on him to our knees in repentance, we'll be broken because our will gets broken. Mm -hmm. We remove ourselves from the throne and put God on the throne. And we are broken people, humbled people. But if we don't humble ourselves, that stone will fall upon us, just like Daniel's vision, yeah. and we'll be crushed. And that is going to be a terrible day. That is the day of judgment. So that when the chief priests heard them saying this, and when the Pharisees heard him saying this, they were angered. They didn't get it. They wouldn't believe it. They didn't know God. Jesus said, anyone who knows my father knows me. If people do not follow Jesus today, they do not know mm -hmm. God. And if they don't know God, they're not going to be with God. Right. And that's the picture right. here. In the next parable for next time, it's going to be a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, definitely. Your thoughts. Listen, I, uh, this is, it's amazing. There's so many thoughts I have. I mean, this, I want people to keep listening because they'll learn so much. It's going to go in so many different directions. You learn really so much about God. And when you, when you know God in your heart and you get to know the scripture in your mind, then it's amazing where you'll go. Um, so many pictures of, of God's love. God's grace. And we'll, we'll end up going to all those in, in future podcasts. And, um, you know, if people really get him, then everything else starts making sense. Yes. It, was, it was funny. We were talking about the, the party goers before, right? Even, even to the, um, the secular, it's funny how, like when you're 20 and you're going out every night and partying, everything that's, everybody thinks that's cool. But 10 years later, when all of a sudden you don't have a job and you're still trying to do that every, every night, everybody's like, oh no, that's not good. Because it's, it's this, it's this, it's like the proverbial story of unfulfillment. Yes. And yet they missed the point that if, if you were looking for God, you would have been fulfilled the whole time. You weren't actually, nobody thinks the guy that's partying at 30 is, is like, like, oh, people are like, oh, that guy's, I'm missing out. I should be doing that every night. No one thinks that. Right. But if they had the same attitude towards, towards God and understanding like, oh yes, you know what? If I understood God, I wouldn't be missing any of this stuff in the world anyway, because I found what really matters. Yes. And if they really took that to heart and understood it, life changes. Life changes. When you when you believe, life changes. And I'll, I'll end with this thought, this saying. You know, many times we hear seeing is believing. Mm. But it's really the reverse. Believing is seeing. Mm. When you come to faith, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you're born again, you can see the kingdom of heaven. When you come to faith and put your faith in Christ, you will then see what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. So that's the picture. I hope you've enjoyed this installment of the podcast. I'm going to pray for us as we close and uh, invite you to join us again next time. Father, thanks for this great day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us um, things that are just so true, so necessary, so usable. 
and we pray that we would just continue to drink it in and grow in our faith in Christ and bring others to know you as well. We thank you, Lord, and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.